Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Today's message is called Quiet, and the text is 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 12. Paul speaks to the Christian about how to live in the face of hostility, conflict, and difficult times. As a friend of mine put it, this last week is the longest year I can remember. Whether your candidate won or lost or he who even knows yet, it's been a long week. One thing this election has shown us is that we are a nation divided. Trust is broken. We need help and restoration. And I suspect the division, the distrust, and the frustration will continue for the foreseeable future. So what are we to do? How do we rebuild trust as a nation? How do we rebuild unity and rebuild purpose? Even without national events, most of us have enough conflict and trouble in our own lives that we could use some help. So what do you do when your family is torn apart? What do you do when the people you love are hurting? What do you do with people who are angry with you or wish you ill? What if you're not the person who broke trust or created the problem? What do you do? And Paul gives us a simple set of keys on how to begin to reforge trust unity, and how to repair rifts between loved ones and even win over enemies. The answer has always been the same. Please hear it again. Healing happens by the redemptive power of Jesus. Our text today gives us a set of practical commands. They only work when done by the redemptive power of Christ. You need to hear that. These practical ideas, they're nice, but they only work in their full power and potential with the redemptive power of Christ. So if you're asking yourself how to face conflict, division, problems, and work through them, especially as a Christian, our text today offers the foundation that we need. Ultimately, it amounts to this. Live well for Christ and shine the light of Christ so that all around you will be blessed, encouraged, and they'll hunger for Christ themselves. You see, the Thessalonian Christians, they find themselves in a community and a culture that does not want them and sees them as a menace. The city around them lives with a set of values that could not be more opposite to those of the Christian Thessalonians. It has even reached a point where the regular population of Thessalonica has put together a mob to give these Christians a hard time and coerce them to live like everyone else. These are the words that Paul writes to help them, and they're from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9-12. through 12. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So the advice of this passage is good. Though it doesn't seem very spiritual, make no mistake, it is spiritual. Paul gives four keys for living in and healing conflict. The first key is this. We must practice brotherly love more and more. We are to practice Philadelphia, which is the word for brotherly love. It is family love. You will find with all of Paul's keys, they start inside first and then move out to others. G.K. Beale says this, if the church is not a truly loving entity, 
acting out God's love and Christ for humanity, then the outside, then those outside the church will never glimpse that love and be attracted by it. In this case, Paul is saying that the Thessalian Christians are to practice brotherly love for one another inside their church. And if they're going to change the world, then this is where they have to start. And it's where we have to start, learning to love one another. But the Thessalonians have a reputation for loving one another. They're really good at it. In fact, Paul even remarks on this saying that no one really needs to write to them to tell them to love. They're known for their love all over Macedonia for other Christians. Even non-Christians see this and they're curious and they want to know what's going on. And Paul gives a word about love to the Thessalonians that we need to hear. In verse 11, we read these words, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. In other words, don't stop. If you think you're good at loving people, figure out how to love them more. Once you've done all that you can, pour on the gas. Don't let up. Love them all the more. The Christian is told to give their all in love. Leave it all on the field. Do it all. Live love when it's easy, love when it hurts, love when it's not returned, or even when love is rejected. Love your enemy. Love at personal expense. Love sacrificially. When you think there's nothing more you can give in godly love to the people around you, dig deep and love a little more. As long as we are on this side of heaven, there is more for us to learn about love and more love that we are to give to those around us. So do it all the more. Jesus, when he spoke to his disciples, talked very clearly about loving one another. In John chapter 13, verse 34, he says this, A new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And I want to remind you, Jesus' love was sacrificial even to death on the cross to redeem those that he cared about, all humanity. In John 15, just a couple of chapters later, Jesus continues and he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He says it twice in a row. And actually, if you bump down to verse, I believe it's 17, Jesus says it again, that you would love one another. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, we read this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So John in the Gospels tells us about Jesus giving us a new commandment to love one another. And then in the letter, 1 John, John's reminding us, ah, we've heard this from the beginning, we should love one another. And then I love the second letter of John in verse 5. It's only got one chapter where it says this. It's specific to a person, but it says, Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. You can see a growth in the church there. They received the commandment as new, and they were working to live it out. And then probably years later, in Second John, he's writing again, he says, this isn't new. We are to love one another. That is our job, to do it all the more. When we learn to never be satisfied with how we love one another, something changes in us. Our, our interactions toward others they grow and they improve. G.K. Beale says this, When love takes a high profile among God's people, they assume a low, humble profile before one another and others. So today I ask you to resolve to love others more and more, no matter what happens. The second key is this. We are to aspire to live quietly. Living quietly, that's an idea that appears multiple places in the New Testament. 
and a key place is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I want to read these verses for you because it talks about uh, seeking to live quietly under our rulers. It says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are on high places, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to know the, the knowledge of the truth. So what does it mean when it says live quietly? Well, I can tell you it's not silence. And it's not a retreat. It's not letting injustice have victory. It's not keeping your head down and hoping the conflict or the problem will blow over. Living quietly is something much more powerful than this. Living quietly means that you live for Jesus in a way that you become a calm and steady force in the midst of conflict and chaos. To live quietly means that you are steady. You choose not to be a source of drama or fan the flames of conflict. Paul Kolehol, I'm going to mess up the name here. It's Paul Kolehol. It says this, the world is changed by your example, not by your opinions. And when we choose to live quietly, we give an example. We become a steady force. So, to live quietly means that you remain steady and true. No matter what happens around you, no matter what the culture around you says, no matter what your neighbor says, no matter what your family member says, you stay true to the truth of the Word of God, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, to the Father. You're steady. You don't have to be the voice of reason, but you become the light of Christ lived out. We live in times where people feel like throwing bricks Instead, we are to be the brick. Have you ever heard the phrase, you're a brick? It's a phrase that means you're a good, solid, substantial person that can be relied upon. So today, I would ask you to resolve to live quietly. Be a brick. The third key that Paul talks about is to mind your own affairs. Literally, the words are, mind your own business, but not how lots of people use those words today. Uh, yesterday, I was finishing up the sermon, and I, I walked upstairs, and I noticed there's an avalanche of Christmas decorations in the guest room, and I smiled at Betsy, my wife, and I said, I knew it. It's been too quiet up here, and Betsy smiled back to me and said in the nicest way possible, buzz off. You ever heard the phrase, keep your nose out? Sometimes it's wise to keep your nose out of other people's problems. And sometimes it's necessary for us to not just stick our noses in, but to jump whole body into the fray. But we must make sure that we have done the work of minding our own affairs. We cannot set someone else's house in order if our own house is a mess. But it's tempting, isn't it? We can see hurting around us or injustice, or chaos, and react by rushing in to help and repair without asking ourselves, will my own problems and brokenness make the mess worse? When you're on a commercial airplane getting ready to take flight, the staff give a presentation on safety. They explain the seat belts, and they show you the exits, and they, they mention oxygen masks. And when they mention those oxygen, oxygen masks, they always say, take care of your own mask before you help others. This is not a selfish request to serve yourself. We're best able to help others when we've done the necessary work on ourselves first. And the same is true for the Christian. The better we are able to walk with Jesus, 
the more competent we become, the more we settle the problems and messes in our own lives, the better able we will be to help others. Do not let one more day pass and refuse to hide from the messes and hard work in your life. Resolve today to mind your own affairs. The fourth thing that Paul talks about, about how to live in the midst of conflict and chaos and overcome it, he says to work with your own hands. Work with your hands. What does working with your hands have to do with shining the light of Christ or overcoming conflict? Well, first, I think there's power in accomplishing meaningful work. It encourages you and it benefits others. What would the world look like or be like if everybody refused to work, to make food, to make shelters, to to help others? It would be miserable. We can help many by simply doing good, productive work. Ever hear the phrase, many hands make the, the work light? Let's make sure those hands are from those who love Jesus. And there's another side to working with your hands. Paul worked hard to support himself, and it helped his credibility with those who were suspicious about the gospel that he was teaching, and it unburdened young churches that he was planting so they could have the resources to grow. And in the early church, this idea grew quickly, and it was expressed like this, to support others in need is an expression of love, but it's also an expression of love to support ourselves so as not to need the support of others. So many times I hear people talk about the talents that God gave them. They'll say, oh, I'm, not, I'm not a preacher or an evangelist or a healer or anything fancy, but I can serve. And it's almost said as like, oh, it's not a big deal. I, I don't have the, the fancy gifts. The work of your hands can move mountains in the kingdom of God. Doing the simple work of driving a person to an appointment can change their lives forever. Resolve today to do meaningful work with your hands so that others may be blessed. Now, I do want to offer a quick warning about some of the enemies to these four keys. Because the enemies are simple. I'll call them the three G's, the big G's. They're grudges, grumbling, and gossip. Watch out for grudges. Hanging on to hurts and wrongs can be fatal to the act of loving, caring about your neighbor and for those around you. Grumbling, well, think about complaining. We're not to be grumblers. And just grumbling and complaining, it never fixes anything. And gossip, talking about others when they're not present to answer what you're talking about. Often, grumbling and gossip, they go hand in hand. And here are quick few answers to those big three G's there, the grudges, the grumbling, and the gossip. Be a person who offers solutions instead of complaints. Instead of holding the grudge, offer the solution. Address your problems to a person who can help. So many times we talk to somebody who can't do anything about the problem. We commiserate. Uh, and, and really, when we have a problem, we should go to somebody who can solve it. That avoids gossip. And we should avoid commiseration. We all like to know we're not alone in our problems, but commi- commiseration is an invitation to wallow in our frustration. So we've heard today that we are to love with brotherly love more and more, to live quietly, to mind our own affairs, and to work with our hands. Grumbling, gossip, and grudges, they'll try to keep us from those four keys. But these four keys, they may not feel all that spiritual, they may not feel all that powerful, but they add up to our ability to shine the light of Christ. Madeline Lengel says this, We do not draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want it with all their hearts, 
to know the source of it. And William Barclay says this, The only way to demonstrate that Christianity is the best of all faiths is to show that it produces the best of all men. You know, when I was 16 years old, I became a Christian. I was a a junior in high school. And um, before I made the decision to know Christ, I felt pretty low. I felt worthless. I felt lifeless. And I saw no meaning in my life. The night I became a Christian, the man who was preaching was dramatically portraying the sacrifice of Christ. And I saw in him life and passion and enthusiasm. I saw the light of Christ. I saw the tears in his eyes. I saw the passion in his expression. And I thought in that moment, I want what this man has because I saw the light of Christ in him. People will hunger for Jesus when we shine brightly the light of Christ. Matthew 5.16 tells us this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I want to ask you today, please choose to live well for Christ and to shine the light of Christ so that all around you will be blessed, encouraged, and hunger for Christ themselves. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, whether our times are good or bad, cause us to live well for you and shine the light of Christ. Keep us from distraction, from frustration, from despair, from laziness. Whether we face conflict in our community, in our homes, help us to shine the light of Christ to all around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.